Welcome, this is Jessica Ortner and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. Hello, friends. Welcome to this brand new episode. If you are listening to this right as it airs, then you're probably doing your taxes or you've just finished doing them or you're, you've been procrastinating. Uh, it is tax season and it's kind of a bummer. It's kind of annoying. But the good thing about it is that it does give us an opportunity to reflect on our finances, and we can take it as an opportunity to get more organized and clear around what we really want and how to get it. So it was perfect timing to have my friend Amanda Steinberg come on the show. I had also just finished reading her book, Worth It. Uh, It's called Worth It, Your Life, Your Money, Your Terms. You might have heard of Amanda. She has a great website called dailyworth.com. She launched it in 2009, and it's been listed as Forbes 100 Best Websites for Women. Uh, She has been everywhere. She's done the Today Show, Good Morning America, CNN, MSNBC. She truly is an expert when it comes to finances, and in particular, women and finances. If you are a gentleman listening to this show, Do not turn it off. Tune in. Pay close attention because there is a lot here that you can also learn. So a little side story. I was very inspired by the book. I was very inspired by our conversation. So the next day, Lucas and I planned a lunch and... I, with the intention of talking about finances, which makes it a lot more fun if you're, you know, out having a nice lunch and relaxed and enjoying yourself to start to have these conversations. And we started talking about retirement. And I started to follow some tips that Amanda shares and some things that I learned from her book. And suddenly Lucas looks at me and he goes, haven't you learned anything from Happy Gilmore? And I'm like, the Adam Sandler movie? What are you talking about? And he goes on to tell me that Gilmore's grandmother in the movie almost lost her house because she couldn't pay for the taxes. This is his way of telling me that as we begin to uh, get organized and create a goal for our retirement, that we should also calculate the taxes we think that we're going to have as well. And uh, I thought it was great. I mean, who knew that Happy Gilmore would be part of a conversation uh, regarding retirement? So uh, we touch a little bit about on retirement here, but we talk about so much more. And Amanda's great. She's a lot of fun and she's really funny. So I hope you enjoy this. It is sponsored by thetappingsolution.com, my love, my passion. We have the Tapping World Summit coming up. This is a 10-day free event. You do not want to miss this. You can go to thetappingsolution.com to learn more. And when you go to thetappingsolution.com, you can download this amazing morning and evening uh, tapping meditation for stress relief. So check that out. And if you love this episode, then share it. This is an act of love, so spread the love. Enjoy. 
Amanda, I want to welcome you to the show. I'm so happy to be here with you, Jessica. Well, I, you were just asking me about what I thought about your book, and I thought, well, let me just press record so that I can, I can tell you live. Um, I just finished reading your book, and I, I've done a lot of work around the emotional mindset around money, which I want to touch upon, and I think it's really important. What I thought was unique about your book was that you not only talk about the mindset and the stories that we have around money, but then you actually get into some of the more specific things, you know, like retirement and, you know, strategies to implement, realizing the difference between your income and your net worth. And so I really loved going through all of that because I think, you know, a lot of times we shy away from that because it can sound intimidating. Um, And we're obviously not, we don't live in a culture where we're raised um, and we learn these things. I think a lot of times we become adults and suddenly we're faced with these bigger decisions and we might even feel a little bit embarrassed around asking those questions uh, and gaining more clarity. So I think your your book is so important and so great. And I want to start off by asking you, I know your focus is on helping women. And I'm curious, why do you think that women's relationship with money is unique? How does it differ from men? Yeah, first of all, I'm so glad that you enjoyed reading the book. And you know, as someone myself who had spent years reading every finance book, I also wrote this book to make sure that people who felt frustrated by or like they've failed at following advice that they've gotten before mm-hmm. to know that this book is, does not follow traditional formulas and is meant to be entertaining and engaging as much as it is useful. So yes. um, don't think that I just kind of adding new language to stuff you've heard before. It's, it's quite different. Yes, definitely. Um, but the reason why I'm interested in helping women specifically, although I've had a few guys already read and love my book as well is that, you know, I think that our world's power dynamics are out of whack. Um, And I believe that traditionally men have been in more powerful positions than women. And my, my real mission isn't about financial prosperity, although that's a pathway to it. It's about creating a more fair and balanced world. And so my, my, what my observations were 10 years ago when I started my company daily worth um, was that I knew so many powerful, ambitious, bright women who had a very disassociated relationship to money specifically. And it was, it was fascinating to me to see how someone could be developed in, all, in so many areas of their life, but still ignore their finances. And I thought, hmm, if women want to be equal, then I need to figure out how to make money interesting to those who don't find it interesting. <laughs> yes, yes. And you also address this really interesting dynamic. Not only you know, are you running The Daily Worth, but you're a mother. And the book starts off with you talking about feeling like you have to check off all of these things in order to be successful. Can you tell us a bit about that dynamic? Yeah, you know, I think our our social dynamics are way more powerful than our individual willpower. I'm just coming out with that statement. That's my feeling on the matter, what I've observed is I grew up, I didn't think I needed to get married. I was raised to be an independent woman. But the pressure to conform, the fear that something's going to be wrong with you or you're going to be old and lonely if you don't follow all these steps really hit me in my early 20s. And I tried to build this idea of what I thought I was supposed to become. And what I realized in going through that is I pretty much imploded 
um, 10 years later because I was trying to fulfill every social expectation of me, but I totally lost touch with what was really important to me. And that's also incredibly expensive and was the main reason I went into debt because of this stupid house that I bought. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I did, I, I finally broke out of all of it and realized that it's okay to not be normal. And I'm so much happier not trying to be normal. <laughs> um, and, but you kind of have to reach a breaking point to see that following other people's rules that you didn't write on your own doesn't work. Right. Like this idea, one thing that you addressed in the book that was interesting is we're taught that we should always buy a house. Like it doesn't matter what you buy, you should buy something instead of renting. And and we're, we're doing that. We're taking that at face value without actually doing the numbers. Exactly. We think that a house is an investment because houses typically appreciate, but we don't realize that in a mortgage, you're oftentimes paying the interest far long, too long before you're actually paying into the equity of the house. So your net worth is decreasing before it's increasing. Right, right. And I felt it was interesting to just gain clarity around the difference between your income and your net worth in the sense of a lot of times when we think about, okay, I want to make more money, we think that we have to earn more. And that's not always the case. I mean, you're addressing uh, debt and saving, and there's so many more things that go into uh, feeling more secure and powerful. That's what I got from this book, that it's also about feeling like you have power and you're in control and not just going into what you often call the money coma. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's really important to share with everyone that earning more is not going to mean that you have more money. In fact, sometimes earning more can lead you to having less money because of the way you're handling it and the things that the contracts you get yourself into, the houses we buy, the things that we do that end up costing us so much more that send us in the wrong direction. And so, um, you know, just switching the conversation, not making earning the goal, but really making your net worth and building assets or roots, as we call them, is really the primary priority in understanding the dynamics of that. Right. So I want to talk about the money story, because it seems like this is a big part of your book and also the money comas we fall into. Um, how does someone recognize their own money story and what impact does that have on their life? It's very hard to see your own money story because it's your personal identity narrative. And when we tell ourselves something long enough, like since we're five years old, we pretty much believe that we're hardwired and that it's true. But in my learnings over the years and studying cognitive psychology and witnessing and changing things in my own life, hardwiring doesn't exist. You are, you are a malleable, your brain is malleable. Um, and What's the hardest part is witnessing what is actually going on. Your money story are the things that you tell yourself about money that are so familiar to you that you, you can't, you don't even see them. So for example, mine was, I'm a saver. I'm sorry, my money story. And this is 10 years ago when I started to create all these changes and build these businesses, um, was that I am a spender, not a saver, but I earn so much. I'll eventually have enough. And that doesn't even make logical sense. But to me at the time, it was I had been saying it to myself for so long that I just assumed it was true. And that's the first and really fascinating part is just bringing awareness to what that story is um, so that you can start to go, hmm, I got to rethink that one. Jessica, right. do you know what your money story is? Oh, that's a good – oh, that's a really good question. Um, and it can also be your feelings about money. 
like money is evil, money is greedy, capitalism is bad, or it can be just things that often happen about money. Like money, I just have bad luck with money or um, there's never enough. One of the things I feel like that's been coming up is I have to pay closer attention. Like I'm not paying close enough attention um, to certain things. I mean, I think in the past, I come from a family that had a lot of ups and downs. And so because of that, I think I hold on tighter to money. So I don't spend as much, um, which can be, you know, which can be a good thing, but it also leads to, it led to some guilt when I started making money or like some looking around, like waiting for the shoe to drop type of thing. So the more money I made, the more anxiety I felt because I had a more likelihood of losing something. Does that make sense? Of course. It makes complete sense. Um, Can I give you two ideas? I'm curious what you think about them. Sure. On that. The first is um, I often, I find budgeting really, really challenging. I do it because the healthy thing to do to always get a check on what your spending is. But the idea of categorizing everything to me was always asinine. So what I do is I separate my spending money from my bill paying money. So I have two checking accounts. That way I only ever keep $600 on my spending account so that I'm never digging into what I need towards bills or savings or investments. So then does that mean that you have like a a special credit card? Yeah, I have a special debit card just for that $600. Oh, that's such a brilliant idea. Yeah. And that's because I... Um, found that all that budgeting advice just doesn't work for most people. And so if you instead just focus on how much you have on a weekly basis or um, to every two, every as often as you get paid, that way, if you go over that amount, you put it on a credit card. So you're not tipping into savings, but you have the pain and the awareness of seeing what's going on to your credit card and what you can and can't pay off. So you start to get, understand the extent to which you're overspending or underspending. Right. Right. I love that. Thank you for that. That's a great tip. And, you know, you work with so many women and there's you cover a lot of money stories. Is there one that stands out is like in this day and age seems to be one of the biggest? Um, There's one that's I'm just not interested. And that was so interesting to me because no one's interested in money. (laughs) It's like it's paper. You know what I mean? It's, it doesn't have any meaning to me. It's the lack of meaning or meaning they could put on top of it that would possibly shift their life. Yes. Yes. However, I will say I'm not in the business of making people who aren't interested, interested. Um, but the, uh, the other one that is, um, is I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'll never get control of it. I mean, that's the one I see most commonly, but even though they are interested, they just feel like it's out of control. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is when I speak to, say if I'm working with a client, which is completely, it's with my tapping work, it's not financial based, but it's just focusing on the emotions. A lot of times when people feel overwhelmed, it's before they even look at the numbers. Like once they actually sit down and look, even if even if the numbers aren't, you know, what they were looking for, I often find like once they actually sit down and begin to look at it, it's they're able to be more productive. They're able to like think of solutions. I think sometimes we just like close our eyes and just turn around and we don't even want to take a peek because we're scared of what we'll find. Yes. And that's actually the premise of the course that we've been teaching for the last few years called Money Clarity, because I didn't, I didn't call it budgeting. I didn't call it saving I called it clarity because I saw what was hardest for people was just seeing what is in front of you. 
And that is to me the fascinating service that I want to continuously provide is helping people get over that fear and guilt and dissonance that's between them because what's available on the other side isn't nearly as scary as you think it's going to be. Right. And, you know, sometimes this stuff isn't fun, but it's part of being an adult. It's part of being responsible and wanting to have a future where, um, you know, where, where we experience some abundance. And so with that, I think there has to be a mindset where we're able to learn things. Um, you know, you talk about, I think near the end of the book, um, you talked about the unabashed self-aware student. What is like the ideal characteristic for someone who wants to begin to take control? What are some traits um, that are helpful when wanting to learn something new? Um, I think the traits that are really helpful when you want to learn something new is to treat it like a video game. And this is a metaphor I use very often throughout my book and other areas, which is that in order to learn something new, you're going to fall down often. And I, as a kid, played constant video games, which was really helpful in my ability to grow because I got used to death and failure and regeneration over and over and over again to the point where you no longer even have an emotional attachment to failure. You're just like, oops, I failed. And then you start all over again. Right. And that, that to me is the most valuable one is that resilience to um, shake it off in a split second, even if, uh, as opposed to spending months, you know, berating yourself for not getting to where you wanted to go. Right. Right. And, you know, you also talk about how important it is to ask questions. I think people, sometimes we feel embarrassed to speak up. Like, you know, we think, oh, well, I don't want them to realize how little I know. And the reality is a lot of this stuff when it comes to finances and investing and retirement, I never took a class on it. You know, I like my education, there was no one ever sat me down and talked to me about property taxes. Like I, I recently bought a house and I there's so much involved that I was like, how I'm, you know, like 31. How is this the first time I've ever heard about this? Um, and I had to ask a lot of questions. I think that's where people sometimes get stuck is um, is just not asking for that support. I'll tell you a secret. Yeah. The powers that be actually don't want you to ask because they profit off of your confusion. I, I have this big part like highlighted in the book, page 143. You wrote, many women just hand off their finances and then go back into their money stories or money comas. And here's the dirty secret. As much as financial services want to reach women, of course, they want our money. They know that women generally do not know how to direct their investments and do not like the process. And so you go on to say that they it becomes a cash cow. They take advantage of that. Yeah, that's um, as uh, Daily Worth no longer sells direct advertising to big financial services companies. We had to create our own because I got so sick. I couldn't serve as an advertising platform on our media property for these institutions once I really got inside them and saw um, how they were not, how they were profiting off of people's confusion. Yes. 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 So I want to talk about retirement <laughs> for a second, which is like not the sexiest topic. Um, and obviously people aren't finding it that sexy because one in three Americans have nothing saved for retirement. And um, and I think, you know, you wrote that the recession in 2008 was like a really big, painful wake-up call um, for women to begin to get more engaged. And you're seeing that women are getting more engaged. So when it comes to understanding 
Um, let's just start with like the basics of retirement. Like for example, it blows my mind that I can just decide to save money, but it's not enough because of inflation. Like that money, like just having a, a savings account is not going to do it when it comes to retirement. First of all, Jessica, I just want to laugh. Like we might've just lost some of our listeners. So, <laughs> yes. um, I'm like, Oh God. I mean, it, this is just like one of those things. So, all right, let me just give you like the full lowdown on retirement, especially for those of you who are like, mm, not sure I really want to listen to this one anymore. So retirement is a concept that was just invented like a hundred years ago. And it's, um, and it used to be a guaranteed thing when pensions and all the retirement plan, people stayed at one company. The whole concept of retirement right now is in question. Um, the, uh, the whole political infrastructure in our country right now is also in question. Um, the retirement, investing for retirement, if you are in a position to do so, and I'm going to talk about if you're in a position to do so, it's a good thing to do. There's tax benefits. It gives you peace of mind to know that you are taking care of your 80-year-old self but it is also um, it also has to be done in the context of how much you have saved right now, like just in basic savings and how much debt that you have, because um, the it, it, it's one way to preserve your wealth for the future. But it's not a right or wrong situation where you're bad if you're not saving investing for retirement right now. I just need to really clear that. that OK, uh, so, so, the you know, yeah. if one out of three aren't saving for retirement, you don't think that's that horrible. Well, no, I mean, I do. I think that the entire economic system for Americans right now is pretty dismal um, because uh, we're being now forced to do things through individual willpower that prior generations didn't have to do that people really aren't adequately prepared or able to do. So um, it's just setting up a, a huge percentage of the American population to be really poor. Um so I think it's a, I think in that sense it's a bad idea. But the reality is that it actually doesn't make financial sense to invest towards your retirement unless it's through your a small portion of your 401k plan at work. There's like a small amount that's okay. If you have a lot of credit card debt and I'll explain why and if you don't have cash savings first. And the reason is is that if you're saving for your retirement and say that portfolio is growing 5% per year but you are spending 20% on carrying your credit card debt then your net worth is actually going down and you're still decreasing your own stability, even your own security, even though you are saving for retirement. So that's just a logic thing. Yes. And then the second reason is that if you don't have at least two months, start with one month. One month is really hard to get to. Start with one month, try to get to two months of cash. Then the likelihood that you're going to generate that expensive credit card debt is just as high as if you have it because of life's curveballs that you really need to have those two situations the core premise of the book is focus on your net worth. How are you increasing your net worth or decreasing your net worth? Whether you choose to buy a house, invest for retirement, all those things really all go into how are you building equity for yourself? That's the critical piece. Right, right. And also, I mean, it's interesting to know that if it's not growing five, by 5%, like say people have a retirement plan, if you're not keeping an eye on it and seeing it grow by 5%, you need to start asking some questions. Yeah, although I will tell you that the market goes up some years and it goes down some years. When I say 5%, um, I actually am using a 10-year average projection. Mm -hmm. In the past, it's been between 7 and 10%, but it's uh, a lot of economists agree that we're in a period of much slower growth right now. So there are years, it's even, you should really check on your investments if you really understand that you're in the proper asset allocation and um, portfolios. 
that you don't actually, it's, it, it's going to go down some years and that doesn't mean you're in the wrong portfolio. It just means that the market is down that year. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. And so you talk about how, you know, people, there are people who don't want you to understand um, how this all works and how we're in a very unique time in history when it's not that we have an employer where we get like a pension, we have to be taking responsibility. How does one then begin to take this information and fit it into their life. And what I, what I mean is we're so busy. I mean, you even talk about women specifically just having so much on their plate. How do you take this kind of money management aspect, getting curious, asking questions, spending time focusing on this? How do you fit that in your schedule? And what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, I think it, the fact when you have more prosperity and affluence, you have more time and less overwhelm. So investing in your personal finances will reduce that overall feeling of overwhelm because you'll be in more control of your life. Mm -hmm. So think about it that way, that investing time in your money means you're going to essentially buy more time for yourself. Right. Um, and what that looks like, it really depends on your personality, um, but you're not allowed to delegate all of it because then you will be taken advantage of. Um, and you, what you really need to do is you need to understand your own style with money. And the best way to do that is to go to a platform that we built called moneytype.me. Um, and that is a cognitive profiling tool that we built so that you understand what your money personality is, um, and whether or not you're someone who ultimately is going to be really engaged with your money, which is the producer, or if you're going to be really great at earning it, but it's going to be chaotic in terms of your, uh, the ups and downs of your expenses. That's the visionary or if you're an independent personality, which means you don't like systems and structures at all, and you're probably going to ignore it. And based on that, you understand, do you need a financial advisor? Can you afford a financial advisor? Should you look at digital investing platforms? Are you someone who's going to thrive off of creating a budget? Or do you really need to separate your spending and your bill paying into two different checking cards so you're not overspending? That's the, um, there's no right way to do it. It's not about creating goals and creating budgets. That only works for a certain amount of people. It's about understanding your personality and then putting the protective measures in place so you don't sabotage yourself. Right, right. And like you said, a lot of this work is based on net worth. And I found it so fascinating. You shared a few stories of people who were really able to um, build their finances by saving, you know, they might not have earned as much as maybe another client that you worked with, but they ended up having more money. So with that, I'd love to talk about saving and and really, I mean, the opposite of that, overspending. Um, talk, can you talk to me about overspending and how you see that show up in people's lives? Yeah. You know, there's this extraordinary cultural pressure to look and act and be a certain way. It's how we signal to others that we're successful, that we're healthy that we're worthy of having relationships with and doing business with. And this leads us to do lots and spend lots of money on things that we believe are going to make us more desirable and happier people. Um, but there, there's also the truth that having a large padding of cash savings, and this is just as hard for me as it is for anyone, trust me, um, is, is, a, is the healthiest thing you can do for yourself because it's really what creates freedom. And there are plenty of people who on very small salaries manage to save thousands of dollars. And there are people who make a million a year who are deep in debt. And saving is um, because it's it's never really been culturally celebrated. Um, I think until ING Direct came around with their, they did amazing stuff around savings. 
that it's not where it's not where we get our satisfaction and our joy from. But I got to tell you, to create a separate savings account and to see yourself the ability to save thousands of dollars, even when there's bills to pay and things you think you should be buying is a really liberating thing. It's perhaps the most essential thing you can do for yourself in terms of learning how to create affluence. Right. And it doesn't mean you have to have a lot of money in order to be saving. What would you say to someone who feels like they just don't have enough to save? Well, you know, whenever I feel like I suck at saving because every once in a while my emergency fund gets obliterated because, you know, my son emergency. has <laughs> seven cavities or, you know, went through my divorce and my legal bill came and all that other stuff that you're just like, wow, there goes all that money I just spent nine months saving. Um, is It's all a reminder. It's, it goes back to your money story. And that stuff crushes my money story because I used to say I'm not a saver. What I often do in those situations is I actually take out a physical glass bottle and I put it, you know, on my dresser and I start to collect money from around my house. This is, sounds completely ridiculous, but I'm seriously brainwashing and reprogramming myself. And I go find all the money that's like at the bottom of bags and stuff and see what comes up. And I go, hmm, look, I just saved money. Then I'll log into my credit card statements and I'll find like I haven't watched Hulu in six months. I'm canceling it, even though I used to watch it. Um, or, you know, financial times, not really reading you anymore. I'm going to cancel that. And then I calculate that money and I move that money out of my checking account into savings because it was money I was going to spend. And there's things that you can do where it's about rebuild. It's about not throwing yourself down the stairs just because you tripped down one step. Yes. That's how you start to change your own mind so that you don't continue to sabotage yourself. Right. Now, I think there's a certain mentality out there that can be really dangerous, which is this uh, go big or go home. And I was actually speaking to a friend about it um, when it comes to exercise. People think, well, what's the point of going for a walk? I mean, it's not worth doing anything if I can't, you know, do that P90X or do something really intense and pick up a sweat. And so instead they do nothing. I can imagine that the same thing can happen with money. People think, well, the $2 that I'm saving there, putting it in a savings account, what difference does that really make? So what would you say to someone who has that hesitation of it's not worth saving if I don't have a lot to save? Well, I think it's, I think saving small amounts isn't about being able to save small amounts. It's about becoming someone who saves and becoming someone who values themselves so that other things start to happen in your life that enable you to grow the margin between how much you spend and how much you save. Because it's, again, it's like a video game. If you're able to save a hundred dollars, saving a hundred dollars every month, isn't going to get you to a place of security, but then you can go, Oh, how do I double that? How do I triple that? And it's about being someone who is interested in that more so than the immediate financial gain of doing so. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. I want to, you have some great challenges in your book to help with overcoming overspending. Um, but before I ask you about those, let's just take a quick second to talk about this emergency savings account. Uh, for someone who doesn't have one or hasn't given it much thought, um, can you describe what an emergency savings account is and, you know, the, uh, how someone figures out how much money they should have there? Absolutely. So the point of a savings account is that it's money that's cash, but that it's not in your checking account. And again, this is psychological because if we see it in our checking account, we think it's there to be spent. Mm. There's a rare human 
who can sit there with $15,000 and just carry it around. I know some of these people and they don't spend it. I would spend it. So the point is getting it out of your, um, I'd probably donate it at this point. I mean, who knows? Get it out of your checking account so that you're not seeing it every day. The second thing about a savings account though, is that it shouldn't be an investment account. Don't buy a CD, don't buy a bond fund. This is money that you do need liquid and liquid means you can extract it and transfer it and have it the following day. You don't have to sell off stocks or whatever to get it. That's because if you're not keeping it in cash, it might be subject to market fluctuations and it may go down just at the precise moment that you need it. Mm -hmm. um, the third thing is, is make sure it's just a place that, you know, you like to do your banking. It doesn't have to be where your checking account is, or it can be attached to your checking account. I find when it's attached to my checking account, it's a little too easy for me to get at. So um, I've always had my um, emergency fund at Capital One 360, which used to be ING Direct. A lot of people use Ally. And I also now run um, a company called WorthFM.com. That stands for Worth Financial Management, WorthFM.com, where when you sign up, we actually give you a savings account, an investment account, and a retirement account all at once. You have to think about which accounts to open. Oh, that's awesome. So then how does someone decide how much money they need to have in their emergency savings account? Well, there's there's what the um, the people who talk a lot on TV, of which I'm not one of them, <laughs> say. And then there's real human life. And I think it's really, really important to distinguish between what the experts say and what you should do. Because if you try to follow the expert advice on any of this stuff and you don't get there, you're going to feel bad and you're not going to do any of it. So the wisdom is six months. I have personally never gotten to six months because I have um, private. I got a lot. I got a lot of expenses. Um, but uh, three months, I think, is a really great goal. Um, I say just start by getting to a thousand dollars and experience that. Once you get to a thousand dollars, and you're going to have hiccups. Like as soon as you get to a thousand dollars, you're going to need eight hundred of it because you like dented your rental car, which I did twice last year. <laughs> um, and then uh, after that, after you get comfortable being in the thousand range double it to 2000. All of this is muscle building. And because we've been conditioned to separate from this subject, we will, uh, we will disengage as soon as we think it's not working for us. So all of these things that I'm telling you are about how to reprogram yourself. So you're someone who saves more than you spend. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. And I like that idea of having it in a completely separate bank account. Um, I can see how that can be really helpful. So on this topic, what you just said about reprogramming, it seems like you have these great challenges around saving, which are really based on this concept of reprogramming our relationship with saving money. So can you um, share with us some challenges that could be really helpful for us to implement? Sure. My favorite one is, is the spend free weekend. Pick a weekend on your calendar. None of them are going to be convenient. I promise you. <laughs> and from 5 PM on Friday or until 4 PM on Sunday night, you are not allowed to spend a dollar. Now, hear the like racing voices in your head. That's the first thing I want you to be aware of is the way your whole body just kind of like curled in upon itself. But what if I'm hungry? What if I run out of gas? What if my baby needs formula? What? That's the first fun part is to see how much um, you, you uh, resist this. I'll, I'll tell you, I still struggle with rebellion against not overspending. As I mentioned, I teach this class called Money Clarity, and we always do a spend-free weekend. And I think it was the third time I was teaching it. I have very rebellious tendencies in me. <laughs> I have this like, oh, you think I can't do it? Well, then I'm just going to do it just to prove you that I can do it. 
And I remember one morning driving my kids to the diner just because I didn't want to follow the rules of my own class. <laughs> and then, of course, I had to like crawl back and apologize. But um, the the idea here is that, you know, if you need gas and your car's going to break down, pay for the gas. You're an adult. You know the point. If you already um, have, uh, you know, if you have a baby and the baby needs diapers, you do need to go buy diapers or maybe you'll get creative and treat it like a game and figure out who you can call to get some diapers. And the objective at the end is to go back and make a list of all the things you were about to spend and didn't, and then have the experience of taking that amount of money and moving it into your savings account. And that is where the awareness comes from uh, and the celebration, because you just saw how your ability to prioritize saving created a meaningful financial shift in your life. Yes, I love that. Um, when it comes to this book and all the work that you're doing, what is one of your greatest hopes? You know, when you look at the current situation, where, where do you want the shift to be? How do you want it to show up? You know, the, the way I want to show up is way I'm already seeing it show up, which is, um, I have a close friend who's inherited a quite significant fortune, um, at a young age. And as a result, she has a sense of freedom about her life. And for her, that means working on um, a nonprofit organization that she's working on. And um, she often would say to me that like, she just isn't good with money, but she wants to make sure she, so she would ask me questions about how to make sure she didn't screw anything up um, as, as a friend to her. And then I said, please read my book. And she read the whole book and came back to me and she said, oh, I get it now. It all makes sense. I'm now the person who can manage my money. I don't need you anymore. I, I just, it, it, there's like something that clicked where it all came together. And my hope isn't just for her own financial prosperity, but she's also someone who's building a really amazing, um, uh, organization to help refugees overseas. And she then gets to be stronger to help those people. That's the result I really want to see in this book. Yes. I love that. I, I think a lot of times, uh, women have, well, actually, culturally, I mean, women and men, a lot of us have been raised in households where we hear things like money is the root of all evil. And, you know, we grow up with these beliefs of fearing it, of thinking that if you make a lot of money, then you'll become greedy. And it's so amazing to see that actually when you have more money and more net worth, really, what we're talking about here, you're able to be able to support the causes that you believe in. You know, you can give more to this world. Do you see that as being a struggle, like those type of beliefs around money? And are you seeing a shift around that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge one in terms of, especially our Judeo-Christian ideology, where it's, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth and um, greed is is a sin and all that other stuff, is even if we weren't directly exposed to that, it still permeates most of our culture. But if you really look at it, you know, a lot of those ideas were developed a couple thousand years ago when it was kings who were controlling their fiefdoms. And it's very convenient to keep the masses thinking that poor means prosperous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's part of a cultural mind control that I think people are waking up to and going, you know what? Money isn't good or bad. It's just what it is. It's what you do with it. It's how you use it, which includes taking care of yourself. Yeah. There is literally this massive billboard um, on this highway that I often pass that has something from the Bible and it's something like you can't worship money and God. And it's massive. Right. And I'm thinking like, okay, I don't worship money, but I love it. Can I love it? Can I like have fun with it? Can I expand it? Can I, you what know? if you're using money in service of God? You know? Exactly. 
Exactly. Um, so I have some questions that I love to ask everyone that's new on the podcast. And um, one of the questions is, what is something in your life that seemed really horrible in the moment, but ended up becoming a big blessing? <laughs> I, I, I am the queen of turning crisis into opportunity. <laughs> and I laugh because whenever I'm in a deep, dark crisis, I actually eventually turn it into the greatest shift in my life. So I'm like, hmm, which, which one? one which one do I choose? Um, you know, uh, when my ex-husband and I separated, I was sobbing like ugly cry, not even like cute cry. I remember driving away and like the tears, the snot pouring out of my nose was pretty just disturbing. Um, and I just decided I was not the relationship kind. I'm too powerful. I'm too ambitious. I'm too like, you know, care too much about my work, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, uh, as a, but the fact that I was able to create that separation means that I was able to connect with someone who valued my independence. And I discovered that I'm now, I'm now six years into a relationship with someone who I don't live with, where I get to act, be my full self and it works. And I thought that, um, I really loved and loved my ex-husband and thought that he was the one for me and that it was, I was bad at, I was incapable of relationships. Um, but it turns out that I am, I just needed to be with someone different. Yes. Well, it, it really ties in perfectly to the beginning of your book around what we talked about, feeling like we have to check these boxes, like feeling like we have to live up to a picture that society paints for us. Yeah, it's, um, it's, and you know what? There's lots of people I know who do that, play that game perfectly and they do it flawlessly and they are, and some of them are genuinely happy. Then there's those of us who like, I, I hated being a, an ambitious CEO startup mom of young babies just because it was just like tore my life apart. I had nothing, nothing left at the end of the day. Um, and so I needed to structure my life differently and I couldn't breastfeed and attachment parent and all that stuff that I was supposed to do. So sometimes some of us just hit a breaking point. And at that point, you, that's when you can choose and say, you know what, I need to change things about my life because this is not working. Right. And there's another way. Yes. And there's another way for sure. All right. So I have two more questions. The next one is, what is something that no one would know about you unless they went to middle school with you? So like before Amanda became, you know, the CEO of the Daily Worth, just middle school Amanda, what, like, what would someone know about them? <sighs> That's a tough one. Um, just that I was a, a, like an extreme tomboy where I really, all I did was play sports and, um, I was really sad because I would develop crushes on boys and they'll be like, we can't, you can't be my girlfriend cause we play football with you at lunch. And that was always really hard for me to resolve. <laughs> Aww. Well, you know, and I see that with actually, I mean, I was going to say, I see that with all the, um, video game, uh, metaphors, but girls can play video games as well and love it. But, um, I, I loved all I love like your passion for video games and it is a really great metaphor to think like it just gets to the point where we can like reboot we can restart like oh I died let me just try again and it's part you know, of the game. I've been talking about this so much. I just got one of those vintage Nintendo sets and um, <laughs> I I mean I haven't played it in like fifteen years and because I've been talking a lot about my book I've been talking about I woke up this morning and I was like oh I don't want to go to work I just want to stay home and play video games. <laughs> 
dude, I think I'm going to go home tonight and I'm just going to play because I miss it. And that yes. sounds like fun. I want to go back to doing that. Oh, you absolutely should. That's great. Well, then uh, the last question I have for you, uh, it's a silly one, but it's my favorite question. If you could be any kind of animal, what would you be and why? Hmm. Right now, I would become a ferocious tiger just so that I can go um, attack some of the people in our government and have them stop <laughs> being um, bad politicians. Yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling kind of aggressive. Like I'd like to be a warrior animal right now. I think uh, there's a lot of people with you. Absolutely. Yeah. So that line. Great. Well, uh, Amanda, so worth it. People can get it basically everywhere, right? Where all books are sold. Uh, yeah, mostly at Barnes and Noble, Target. Please go buy it at Target because I love Target and I want them to see the books sell there so that I can, they buy more and they like me. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> I love and, Target too. That's great. And then Amazon, of course, um, which is taking over everything. So those are the prime, those are the primary best places, but you can also go to amandasteinberg.net and see all of the retailers, including the independent bookstores that are selling it. That is awesome. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for spending time with us. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for listening to me. Always appreciate it.